welcome to episode 25 of the Welcome to My World Massive Attack podcast minis. I'm all over the place. This isolation is killing me. I am Joe, and with me as always is Mitch. G'day. And again, we are still recording over Skype, even though some of the states have lifted some of their restrictions. I noticed your other podcast recorded live in the studio again. Geek Dudes are back. We did practice our social distancing as best we can in the toy room. But yes, we are back to recording in the studio. And it was the furthest I'd driven in a long time. And dealing with, I mean, I mean, I, I do still go to work, so I was talking with people regularly, but it was funny catching up with friends. It was a novel thing. It's been a long time. I'm definitely getting used to this isolation thing. I don't like it. I'm just used to it. And what was the conversation? What have you been doing? Nothing. What have you been doing? Nothing. Oh, we had enough to talk. We went for two hours and 45 minutes, so we managed to find stuff to talk about. We did solicit questions from our listeners and stuff but yeah we seem to we we found enough to talk about somehow well that's good well we've got a lot to talk about because we are going to go over the second half of our top 10 most influential albums so we quickly go through a brief rundown of our fives that we counted on the last episode in case anyone missed it so you can start if you like by recapping your previous five all right number 10 was blues brothers soundtrack Oh, no, 996 Just for Kicks, the compilation cassette. Yep. This was my first. Then it was Blues Brothers soundtrack. Then I had Transvision Vamp Pop Art. Dead Oils, Diesel and Dust and Sons of Steel soundtrack. And I totally forgot to put in A Kind of Magic by Queen, so that should have been in there. And you could probably take out <laughs> Transvision Vamp if you wanted to. That sure. would be my top five. My first five. My first five, yes. Well, as we said in the last episode, we weren't really doing in order of merit. We were doing them chronologically. So my first five were Jeff Wayne's War of the Worlds, The Violent Femmes' self-titled Violent Femmes, The Smiths' self-titled The Smiths, Nirvana's Nevermind, because everybody in the world that was born in the same era that we were counts that as an influential album, don't they? And my last of the five last week was Blur's Parklife. Mm -hmm. So as we said, we were doing them chronologically. And you and I had a little bit of a bet on the side as well that we would pick a, an artist for each other. And I said that I thought you would have a Faith No More album somewhere. You haven't yes. yet, so hopefully you won't let me down for this five. And I think yes. you said uh, Bloodhound Gang. I said Britpop. I did say Bloodhound Gang. I was, yes. I was trying to pick a Britpop and I didn't know who. And you pretty much used them all up in the first five, so yeah. Well, yeah, Blur was probably my Britpop album, but yeah. All right, so who wants to start off tonight's list? Uh, I can go if you like. All right. Well, you go for it. So, all right. So my number five is Pearl Jam 10. Yes. We kind of teased this last time, didn't we, when I was talking about Nirvana and how you mentioned yeah. that you would have your grunge album that was probably not the same as mine. Yes. Yes. And this one just, like, as much as I love Smells Like Teen Spirit and they've got some good songs not just good songs, great songs on the Nevermind album. I just think as an album, Pearl Jam's 10 is near perfect. I haven't listened for a couple of years admittedly, but at that age, so what was it, 94-ish? 93, 94, around that time? Yeah, could have even been but 92. when I listened to it. So I was around 20, and it just spoke to me. It had that early adult angst. It wasn't the teen angst, it's the early adult angst. And just musically, intensity, everything like that, it just was, it just spoke to me. It really did. Close, coming in similar time would have been Offspring's Smash? No, yep. Ignition. Smash is the yep. come out and play, yeah? 
and Ignition was already out, but that's when I went back and bought it, yeah. and I actually liked that one more, even though Come Out and Play had come out by that point. But yeah, those were two albums that just sort of really yelled at me at the time. Not spoke to me, yelled at me. And yeah, so so it's Pearl Jam's 10. So that's my number five. Uh, I, I will agree. 10 is a very good album, but unfortunately it's not on my list. No. So my number five, which you might think is a bit of a strange choice, but I will explain myself. So the year was 1997. By that stage, I was yeah. going to a lot of alternative clubs. I was getting into more of the alternative grunge music. And then all of a sudden, there was a bit of a change in the musical landscape and electronica started to become a thing the band no the the style of music so for me the album that actually envisioned all of the harder electronic music at the time had to be prodigy's fat of the land uh, so i kind of is that, um, is that, is that, would that be called electronica would it electronica yeah okay. so that's what they were calling it at the time i think so the chemical brothers fatboy slim that sort of hard dance music that was around late 90s kind of all fell into the electronica genre yeah kind of like decades later when dubstep became a thing it was like aggressive dance music and for a person that was listening to rage against the machine pearl jam nirvana that sort of stuff all the time but going to clubs where i wanted to dance that melding of the two worlds of having like dance music that was still still sort of hard and aggressive kind of hit me in the right time so it was one of those right place right time it hit and there it was sort of thing and again it it put me in that sort of different mindset of instead of just listening to grunge or just listening to Britpop or whatever it gave me another outlet to kind of listen to Mm. so yeah and i i i I miss prodigy i i think i like to be contrarian back then and i didn't everyone else was sort of into like i never got into oasis because everyone else seemed to be and I was, because I was going through the alternative phase, I was sort of being stubborn to a point where it's like, I'm into cool shit and, and that stuff I'm not into because it's popular. And I wasn't looking for new music. So I really miss Prodigy. I really miss New Metal when it came in. And I, I discovered them all later, yep. but never to a point where they're my bands because I would discover their songs, not the albums. So Corn came out and I liked Corn songs, but I never bought a Corn album. Limp Biscuit came out, I never bought a Limp Biscuit album. And same with Prodigy. I saw them live at Big Day Out when they were just at the boiler room as a smaller act, not really knowing what I was seeing. I was impressed and everything, but I just never got into it. And then when they became massive, I sort of yep. just shied away from it because it was not popular or mainstream. I just wasn't looking for it. So they didn't have the effect on me that they should have. And like you said, it was hardcore dance or something like Limp Bizkit. It's like, it's not metal. There's synth in there, which I like. Yeah. And But it's got that hard edge and it's, it's it was exactly what I wanted. I just wasn't looking for it and didn't know it existed. So it totally flew me by until well later on when I never really got a chance to fully embrace and I wasn't going to clubs to enjoy it in, you know, with the big sound system and going nuts on the dance floor or anything like that. So I totally, yeah, miss, missed it on that one. But it's not through not liking it. I just missed it. Willful ignorance. <laughs> It wasn't blissful because I, I figured out I missed it. But yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was yeah, cool. and I think that's where that little age difference between us and our lifestyle difference, I would say, is the fact that I was going out quite a lot, going to alternative clubs. You know, well, there's by Thursday that point, nights, I was a goo. I yeah, didn't have a girlfriend, I mean, I, whereas I, you did. Yeah, I so, did. Yeah, and now wife. So it's been yeah, exactly. we've been together twenty years now, and 
it just meant I, I, I don't regret not having those dyes, but I do miss them. I wish I did because they sound like fun. Um, but, yeah, it was different. So I, I, I do miss that. Okay, so my number four, and I don't know the year, but Nine Inch Nails Pretty Hate Machine is my next one. Good pick. Yeah, it's when I say that the album 10 spoke to me, this didn't just speak to me. It cut me open, climbed inside. It was written for me at the way I felt at the time. Like this was, yeah, my early adult angst, just the sheer intensity, ridiculous intensity and emotion. Yep. This is the album for me for that. Because I, I can't get into the melodic stuff. I can now. I mean, I like jazz and I like all those sort of things. But at that time, there was no way I was looking at anything like that, except for Baccarat. I did have a <laughs> friend back then. And the Beach Boys. Yeah, Pretty Hate Machine is, like I said, 10 is a near-perfect album. Pretty Hate Machine, the same. And there were so many bands when you discover you listen to that first album and it is perfect. Yep. And then you're so excited when they announce a new album's coming. You go and buy it, you listen to it, and it just doesn't do anything for you. And Downward Spiral did that for me. I just didn't get into it. I know fans out there, big Nine Inch Nails fans, love Downward Spiral. Yep. And for me, it's just like, eh. It's like Nirvana, I like Nevermind. And In Utero came out, and I'm like, eh, there's two or three good songs on there. Yeah. And it's just me not listening to them enough. But they didn't grab me in that first listen. So did you get where... into this after the fact, or did you get into it? At the time of the release, uh, it, well, it was before Downward Spiral came out, yep. so it was the most recent album. How old it was, I don't know. It could have been out for a year or two by that point. Okay. I'm not sure, but um, yeah. So this would have been early early nineties when I when I listened. So it would have been fairly new. Okay. So not long after Pearl Jam's ten, so it was around that same time. But yeah, this is when I was discovering music. So everything happened around this time. So, so it could have know. actually been around the same time that you were going to golf clubs. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely yeah. then. Mm. Yeah, this is 92 to 94-ish okay. around that time. Yeah, that, that album just blew me away. Now, it didn't make it on my list, but Pobble Elite itself was close, and that was around the same time again. But that was a yep. longer career. And again, I've got a Best Of album, so that was the one I I would work off. But, yep. you know, they started in late 80s and to mid-90s sort of career. So I can't say there's one album that spoke to me as far as that sort of thing goes, but, you know, that era I was just discovering lots of different music. And I suppose that's where Prodigy sort of went from. Like, yep. Bobolita South had that funk, heavy dance. Lots lots of samples, lots of beats. Yeah, and, and I love yeah, that loops stuff. and stuff. Yeah. The fact that I didn't like Prodigy, I have no idea. You know, it's exactly the progression of where Bobolita itself started. And went, but, Well, I think sort of mid-90s was when they had... Uh, the album that had it been I now slander on what was that called Dos well, Deos oh. or something yeah yeah well I, I told you the story of when I heard Smells Like Teen Spirit for the first time I was yep. just driving around listening to Triple Triple J as much as I could to hear it again I heard it been I now slander at a goth club yep. for the first time and this is when I went up to the DJ what's this song who is it by Yep. And pre-internet days, so it's like, what is it? So I'm going to Sanity Records because they would have a clue. They didn't. And, yeah, I was it was weeks before it came out here. There was a film clip on Rage one night, and my mate used to take Rage every week on Longplay and watch through it. We found the film clip for it. It's like, fucking, that's the song. Yep. Yes. Uh, and recording it onto an audio cassette from the video cassette, out the, it was terrible quality, but that was the only thing I had for weeks trying to find this fucking song. But yeah, yes. that, I, I that had, is an absolute corker. I had a very similar experience at a nightclub. I used to go to Rave, and 
they used to play Consolidated You Suck. And I can yep. remember running up to the DJ booth and going, you have to tell me what this is so I can go and buy it. And that was actually quite a hard CD to track down. I've got a copy of it too. I, I still have that, yes. Anyway, so... from that song too that would have got me into it. It's also got the this, Randy Macho King. The Summer Slam song. Yes. yes. All right, moving on. So my number four is something that I am willing to cop a bit of shit for. So mm-hmm. 2001 was a bit of a strange year for me because it was the year I started wrestling. And yep. my friendship circle changed quite a lot in 2001. So I started hanging out with a bunch of different people. We were listening to a lot more heavier sort of stuff. I was hanging out with you a fair bit. Not that you influenced this choice, but I found by mid-2001, I would be going out, drinking a lot, listening to a lot of heavy music, and then I would come home and I got into emo. And one of the bands that really got me into emo in 2001 was Jimmy Eat World and their CD Bleed American. Mm-hmm. Now, Jimmy Eat World has kind of become the butt of a joke between the group of people that we used to hang around with back in the early 2000s. Jimmy Dick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But this Bleed American album, I can't think of a Sunday morning or Saturday night after coming home from clubbing where I didn't put this album on when as soon as I got home. It was the perfect come down because it still had a few heavy numbers that you could still get into. But then as the album went on, it like mellowed out and became yeah even more emo. So there was a period in my life where I was listening to this album so much. It was just constantly in the CD player. And as soon as I would get home from clubbing, this would be the first thing that I would put on. So I probably don't listen to the album much itself now. I've got into the habit now of, as we talked about on the last episode, being on Spotify, you listen to the the singles. So obviously the middle and sweetness are probably the two that still get quite a bit of a workout. But there is a lot of really good tracks on this this album. So, yeah, I, I thought it was to... going to be Harvey Danger. Oh, I was so close. Well, he was only one song that was any good for <laughs> Harvey Danger, really. Like, Flagpole Sit is great, but... You know, you can't mm. have a, an influential album that only has one good song on it. And for that, same ra- for that same rationale, that's why Chumbawamba's Tub Thumping never mentioned it. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, moving on to your number three. Yeah, I never got into emo. Like, later on, when I heard things like My Chemical Romance and that, it's like, I could have if I was in a different place and time, but I just never did. Because you so... were too muscular to get into emo. Emo, you have to be either fat or really skinny. Yeah, I was fat enough, I think, but too blonde. My number, what are we up to? Three. 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 My number three is Faith No More. Ding, 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 ding. You win. Okay. And is I it to pick an album. All right. Let me guess. Is it King for a Day? It is King for a Day. Oh, there we go. Yes. Yes. Nice Points one. Um, it's because I got into a Faith No More through a friend because it was during, again, I was discovering my music. I was looking for music and I found Faith No More through him and it was good. Like it was the real thing and Angel Dust were out yep. by this point. And that's what I got into. And King for a Day was the first one that was new that I remember buying new. And it's one of those ones where it didn't have, I thought, because Jim Martin left the band after Angel Dust. And I thought, yep. oh, he's the hard rock and guitar guy. Maybe it's going to go a lot more electronic, that sort of sound, because Angel Dust was heading that way from the real thing. 
And I thought, yeah. oh, maybe it's going to be more that, but it wasn't. It was a lot more grungy and guitar-y, if anything. And it, I mean, Dig in the Grave is an amazing song, a great first single. Probably didn't grab me like I would have thought, like the other songs, but yeah. it grew. Did it grow on me? Yeah. And just some amazing, just a man. What a song. You know, Evidence, you know, it's kind of cheesy now because it's been played on Triple M to death, but I'm um, not Evidence. Easy. Yeah. But it's just, it's a corker of an album, absolute corker of my favorite band altogether who have a bunch of great albums. This, I'd say, would be my favorite album. Don't know if it's got my favorite song and I'm not sure, but it's pretty damn close because my pattern is just so good that there is hard metal songs on there and then there's ballads, but they're not love songs or whatever. They're just yep. good and diverse, yeah. So album of the year is pretty good too. Oh, but yeah, I've got to say King for a day. Yep. Yeah. Good call. Yes. All right. So moving on my number three, and again, this is something that was very much of the moment for me. So later on in 2001 and leading into 2002, again, I was hanging out with a bunch of people that had very different musical tastes to what I was previously listening to. A lot of them were into metal, whereas I was more of an alternative person. I never really got into metal. But then in 2001, late 2001, a song came out that any time we went out, it was always playing. And then as the year went on and the album got released, I can remember one night in particular in early January 2002, just before this band were about to tour Australia, they were having a competition at Switch Nightclub in Hawthorne, which is like an alternative metal club. And it was kind of like as soon as they played this song, you had to be the first person up into the DJ booth and you would win tickets to the band. And myself yeah. and Crackerjack and Martial Law, the, the wrestling clique that were pretty much all of us were inseparable for a good time in 2001, 2002. But obviously the band is System of a Down yeah. and the album is Toxicity. But when Chop Suey mm-hmm. came out, to me, again, it's I, I use the cliche that it changed my life. This album did. I'd kind of liked System of a Down before. I had the album that came out before this that had Sugar on. Is it but, that old? Yeah. Sugar was like wow. late 90s. I, still, but, I think that is a new band that I'm into. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, oh, well. 2001, it, ironically, it got released just before the September 11 bombings. So this album got released in America on the 4th of September, 2001. Yeah. The Twin Towers got hit on the 11th of September, 9-11 in America. And because they talk about the self-righteous suicide in Chop Suey, this was one of the songs that actually got banned from radio in America because they had that long list of songs that allegedly incited violence against Americans and stuff. So it, it was controversial from the start. But again, it was it was metal, but it was different to other types of metal that I'd listened to before. So it sounded, I, I, for my virgin metal ears, it sounded completely different to any other metal. And I still yeah, kind of I, think that System of a Down are more than metal. They're kind of theatrical in a way. They have more traditional sort of sounds and stuff. But yeah, th- this album, there's just songs on this album that just I can listen to now and they blow me away. And a couple of years ago, we actually went and saw System of a Down when they played in Melbourne. And when they played Toxicity Live, I was like, well, this is one of the highlights of my life sort of thing. It was like, it just wow. moved me that much. But yeah, I, I can't say enough about this album. Like if we were doing this in order of what I think influenced me the most rather than chronologically, I think this album would be really right up there. Fair enough. I dig them. I never bought a CD of theirs, but yeah, I love Toxicity and Chop Suey and all those songs and they're great. And yep. I think you put a compilation CD back in the day and the prison song was on there, I think. 
Yep. And yeah, yeah I nothing against them. I just never, I wasn't buying CDs at the time, but they would be that melodic metal is what yep. I'd call it. It just has something else to it where the guys you're talking about, you who were into the metal back then, they were into like the really hardcore grindcore, yep. you know, like Sepultura is probably balladdy compared to some of the stuff <laughs> they were into. Yeah, so so this was something different. It just felt like it had something more going yep. on. And, yeah, I really dug it, and I did really did enjoy the concert. So that was really cool. And their fans don't seem to be dicks, which is nice when because some metal bands just seem to have interesting fans. Yeah. Yes. No, I totally get that. system just moved down, but I'm not – yeah, I, I just – New music just isn't my thing. <laughs> yes. Is that it for System of Down? Yes. For Cellwed? Yeah. Okay, my number two. Now, it only gets worse from here. Like, I'm not building to a corker of a, oh, that's a, the, the White Album. Nothing like that. It's it's downhill from here. Now, mid-90s, you know how I was saying I was constantly looking for music. I was a bit of a contrarian, a bit of a snob. Yes. Then the Spice Girls happened. <laughs> And I don't know what happened. A, f- a flick switched in my head. It's like, no, pop music's fine. I really like pop music. And I just embraced it. And the Spice Girls is what did that. And I love that. I saw the movie. I bought the DVD. I bought their live in Istanbul VHS, you know, back in the day. I just was, became a really big Spice Girls fan. I've got the dolls. I actually went out to get the last doll because she was short shipped everywhere, hard to find. I had to drive like across the other side of the city to get one from a world for kids in Cranbourne or something stupid. Yeah, I, I I don't know what it was. It just it tapped into some sort of primordial brain of mine, which is my inner fourteen year old girl, and I just had girl power. Yeah, I totally dig it. And my first entrance music was going to be Sporty Spice. I, she was my favourite of the Spice Girls. Yeah. I thought my wife at the time looked a bit like Mel C, so that didn't hurt. Yeah, and I still haven't seen them live. I have seen Mel C live, though, because she played Mary Magdalene in the production of Jesus Christ Superstar that I saw. But, yeah, that it broke me in a lot of ways. You know, I liked my girl pop after that. You know, Sugar Babes, things like that. I was never an All Saints fan. Not a big fan of Little Minx. I still like my girl Pop, but there's not there's nothing out there like the Spice Girls. It was no, a movement. And I don't think there ever will be. No. No. No, no, no definitely no, not. No. So it, it literally broke me. <laughs> but it, it also made me relax about music as well because it was important music. And it is important music, but it was at the time. If you didn't understand my music because I liked, you know, I like things like Mr. Bungle, but you can't just play Mr. Bungle to people and they get it. It doesn't work that way. So it was like, screw you if you don't understand my music. And then it got to the time Spice Girls, like, fuck it. I like it. It was just one of those sort of things. Definitely was. Yep. Okay, so my number two, and it's probably a little bit of a change from Jimmy Eat World or System of a Down. So going completely away from the harder type music, I found sort of in early 2002 was when I first met my now wife. We started dating. And not long after that, I moved out of my share house that I was living with with my wrestling friends, and I moved in with my my wife. And at that stage, I'd kind of mellowed a little bit, I think, and I'd stopped listening to as much metal, and I started listening to more relaxed music. And an album that was out sort of late 2001 that I got into in early 2002 is Oh Inverted World by The Shins. And I don't know what it is about it. It's real sort of almost folky but jangly sort of pop music. And I I think I just needed something different to listening to hard stuff all the time. And this album came out 
and I don't even know where I first heard the shins, but it was probably on Triple J. There was one song called New Slang, and once I heard that, I was like, yep, I really have to go and buy this CD, because this was back in the day when I was still actually buying music legitimately. And I can remember going out and buying the CD, and again, it, it was something I just listened to over and over and over, and it permanently cemented itself as this was the music I was listening to in this period of my life. And it, it opened my eyes to... A lot of other things as far as that sort of indie alternative sort of lo-fi jangly pop music that I still listen to a lot of today. So, yeah. See, I, I hear the term lo-fi and I, I, I poo a little. I just don't like it. I don't yeah. know. I'm still, I'm still a bit of a pretentious wank when it comes to that. And it's, it's not that I'm pretentious with my music taste and it's shit music. I just don't like it. It's just, yeah. I don't know. When it comes to, I will listen to jazz. I will listen to Bert Bacharach. I will listen to Mike Patton seeing 1950s Italian opera. But lo-fi, nah, fuck that shit. I'm just anti it for some reason. So it's just like, nah, I hear a little bit of it. Because you put that, like we talked about last episode, you put that CD together for me. And it was just, yeah, half of it was that sort of stuff, what I would call that. And (laughs) it was just like, nah, nah, throw it in the bit. (laughs) Hmm. It's ironic that you talk about pretentious musical people because James Mercer from The Shins is probably one of the most pretentious people in the world. So that'd be the lead singer of the Dandy Warhols, no? Oh, uh, he's pretty bad as well. Uh, I, I think it's funny that to me, anything that's in that sort of jangly sort of sound. I instantly think, oh, they probably listened to The Shins before they formed their band. But anytime I play anything sort of that sort of style of music to you, the first thing you come to is Arcade Fire. And it's yes. always like, is, is that that Arcade Fire shit? But kind of similar but different in a, in a strange way. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just can't get into it. I don't know. I mean, it's probably my mindset. My head's not clear enough to just enjoy it. I just can't do it. And I don't know why. I just It's just something my brain refuses to enjoy. Nothing Probably. wrong with it. It's just not for me. Not for you. Not for me. See, I, right, it, it's strange, though, because when that movie Garden State came out and it's Zach Braff's written, directed, starring in movie where he talks about how you can be clinically depressed but listening to an album will cure your depression. The whole crux of that movie is the Shin's second album and he talks about that a lot and it's kind of like, well... Obviously, the band have sold out completely because now they're getting their music put on movies and this movie was just like a big ad for them. But mm-hmm. it was a bit of a wank fest, really. <laughs> oh, that movie was Pretension the Movie. So, well, was, yeah, I just yes. so wasn't into that, that at all. So mm. yeah, I was watching an episode of Gilmore Girls a couple of weeks ago and there was like a, a college spring break sort of concert that they went to and the Shins were playing this shitty little um, nightclub that they were in, in in like Tampa, Florida or something. And I was like, well, I kind of wasn't expecting that. But anyway. Okay. All right. Your final so Number list. one. All right. My number one. Now, this is not a quality thing. It's still in that chronological thing that I'm doing. So I, a lot happened around that late 80s, and yep. then it went to the early 2000s. That's when I was seeking out and discovering music and, and could afford to buy and had a car to go to shops to buy. Yep. Then 1995, 96 happened, and Spice Girls killed me. And so my last album is, can you have a, any inkling? It'll be, is it the Judgment Night soundtrack? <laughs> no, that's pretty <laughs> damn good. And it's not the Spawn soundtrack either, no. which had a very similar premise of I did look they were on my long list, both of those albums, because they were really cool because they had um, metal acts and hip hop artists doing a collaboration. 
Yep. Not quite good. Uh, no, the 2001 self-titled Tenacious D album. Oh, yes. My number one is. And would you know why by any chance? No, I couldn't put my uh, finger on it. Okay. Now, I had a sh- – not shitty. It was good at the time, but I had a car for a long time, my Pulsar Q. Yeah. Now – this was up until well into the time when everyone else had CD players in their car. I had a cassette player and I had the Tenacious D self-titled cassette. I had the CD. I taped it onto a cassette, put it in my car. And I reckon from 2001 till 2012, I think it was in that. <laughs> so whenever I wasn't listening to the radio, that's what I would play because it was there. So as far as just longevity goes, it's a corker of an album. It is. They are pretty amazing to see. And there's a, I think it's the Masterworks DVD, has a live concert on it, and it's amazing. For two fat blokes in shorts and a T-shirt, well, not T-shirts each, not one T-shirt, that'd be kind of weird, <laughs> but um, just two guys with acoustic guitars, they rocked. They really rocked hard and were amazing. Like, just the emotion they can do. And I mean, you've seen Jack Black act. He, he can act. He knows what he's doing. He's a performer. He's not just a singer. Got a great voice. Him and Kyle are fantastic guitarists. And what they can do with two acoustic guitars was amazing. And they're just fun songs. They're good songs. And, yeah, I'd never got bored of it, obviously, because it sat in my car for nearly for over a decade. I did throw a CD player in my car by that point that could play mp3 cds so then by that point you know i I had variety but but yeah i when it came to looking for new music and finding new music i couldn't really go past that there are so many cds that didn't make this list but i thought just for sheer longevity alone it deserved to be in here and because i work chronologically that would work for my number one because it would just be too hard to try and pick one so i went on longevity for that so yes tenacious d self-titled Tenacious D 2001 is my number one. Cool. Very good. Well, my Mm. final on my list, my number one, again, it's sort of at the stage where I was very close to the end of my CD buying times by this stage 2005 well i remember when i first met you you're a big triple j listener and they would always have their album of the week that's correct they would play all the songs from for that week and i don't know how long it was going for i think you were doing it before i met you and it went well into knowing you you would buy that album no matter what oh there was probably a few aussie hip-hops that i didn't end up buying but there was a lot of stuff when it was triple j album of the week i did buy so yeah Mm -hmm. but by 2005, my CD buying was sort of slowing down because I had other stuff to spend money on. But again, I'd gone through some very different musical genres. By this stage, I was probably listening to commercial radio a little bit more. But then there started to be a bit of a... we're not going the pedal pop line, are we? No, we're not. I did think very much about that. But we're not going Nickelback. Which will okay. upset a, it will upset a few people that I don't mention Nickelback. But by this stage, I had been listening to more commercial stuff. And then I decided that maybe I should branch back a little bit more indie alternative. And around that stage, there was a lot of indie bands that were starting to get a bit more airplay. And I can remember one night I was watching Rage and I saw a clip for Block Party's Helicopter. And I thought, this is fucking amazing. I've got to get this CD. So 2005 Silent Alarm by Block Party is my number one. I couldn't tell you I know it. You probably know a Block Party song or two, but you probably... I know H-Blocks. 
yeah. You'd, you'd probably know Banquet off this album because that was the one that got a lot of radio play. But when Block Party came out, when I got into Block Party, it was kind of like that time for me when I started to get back into listening to Triple J rather than listening to Triple M. And there was a lot of other indie rock bands coming around. So The Killers, Franz Ferdinand, all sort of that sort of stuff. And it was that sort of melding of keyboards, samples, a little bit of dancey sort of music. Plus, they still had the hard guitars. And yeah, it was just something different to what I had been listening. And it kind of kind of moved me in a different direction with my musical tastes. If I was going to say what sort of genre of music I listen to the most now, it is still pretty much that grunge, 90s alternative and modern indie music that I know you hate. And a lot of other people that I'm friends with don't like the sort of stuff I listen to either. So when I, when I listen to it in the car, they'll be like, what's this crap? But yeah, Block Party for me, just something about Kelly O'Kerakey's vocals is very different to a lot of the stuff that's there. It's He does sound kind of like Robert Smith from The Cure, but musically, they are very different. But yes, so Block Party, Silent Alarm, great album. The, the, the album that came after this as well, really good. Then they kind of went a bit too electronic and I kind of went off them a little while and they've split up since then. So unfortunately, yeah, Block Party, no more. But at the time, back in 2005, this was a very good album for me. Okay, cool. Now, it's a, we've got very different lists. Obviously, we early, early 2000s. No, early 90s, we were, we were similar yep. and we diverged. Now, there's two I, I'm going to put in here because I didn't know how to include them. One is the Foo Fighters. I couldn't include them, but I've been listening a bit lately and it started with the whole during this isolation. I think BBC Radio put, you know, a compilation where everyone's singing in their home studios and they put it together. Yep. Times like these. Oh, yeah. And just realised how fucking good a song it is. Yep. Like, like it's a great song with the Foo Fighters, but this version is a fucking corker. It's better than the Gal Gadot Imagine compilation that they put out there, but okay. which was horrendous. Now, this is great, and I fucking love the Foo Fighters. Everlong, I think, is a one of the best songs ever. Well, if I was going to give you a top ten songs... I think Everlong we do songs in other episodes so we don't yep, go too definitely. far. Yep. I think we do I, I think we do a songs one because that's that's different to albums. Yes, definitely. Yeah, so I think what <coughs> Hero was a great times like this is a great song. Um yep. there's just so many really good songs and Dave Grohl is great. He's just fun and awesome and you want to be his mate. So many things I I love Mike Patton. I don't know if I want to be his mate. That's a difference. You know, I don't know if I want yep. to meet him because that'll just ruin everything. Where Dave Grohl, I want to have a beer with. Yeah. You know, and just musically, they're good. Like, they do good rock songs. He's fun. Great film clips. It's just everything. But I actually have never bought one Foo Fighters CD in my life. Hmm. I've okay. seen them live, but I've never actually bought anything. So I couldn't couldn't put them in the list because I've never gone out and bought it because I know their singles. I don't know their albums or tracks. Yeah. So, yeah, I couldn't put that in. And there's one other band that I'm starting to get into again now, which I liked, but for, not for the wrong reasons, but for different reasons. And that is The Gorillas which I've got every CD of theirs and I bought the last two and the one only came out a couple of weeks ago and I missed one in the middle there. So I actually bought them on the same day a couple of weeks ago and that's the last CDs I've bought in a long time. But I'm just, a, I'm becoming a massive Gorillaz fan. I've got the book. I went and saw the tour. I, I'm that close to buying a bloody $150 vinyl action figure. <laughs> and I just love the design on top of everything else. It wouldn't have been the music I was into. But because the design aesthetic was so strong, 
And in my wheelhouse, I liked it. So I gave it the extra bit of time and I'm so glad I did. So because of that, I really dug the visual style of the film clips. So the early ones with Clint Eastwood and 19, 2000, all that sort of stuff. I gave it the time of day and they yep. were melodic enough. They get in your head and you like them and they're funky. I was like, that's great. And then they go on and I'm, I was intrigued in the characters and the design and the whys and the hows. So then you got onto the next album and you got Dare and you got Stylo and all this sort of stuff. And seeing Stylo live is one of the highlights of one of the live bands I've ever seen. Now, if you know the film clip to that, it's when they're driving in the car with a sort of more realistic 3D and Bruce Willis is chasing them in a car. Yep. And Bobby Womack is like the guest vocalist on it. And it's just goosebumps thinking yep. about it and that was just really cool and, and the visuals are just gorgeous like I'm a uh, Jamie Hillard is he did Tank Girl and I was aware of Tank Girl before the band came out so I've actually got a few of the trade papers of his artwork anyway but it just went to another level and it just blows me away still what's done and I don't know if Jamie does all the work still and or if he's just sort of art directs or anything but just the fashion and the style and i sort of got off them for a while and it was fine i just really wasn't listening to music and then the last few months i've been getting into music and the kids are around so you can only play certain types of music around the children because they're only like four and six so you know you can't be playing a lot of system of a down Certain things yep. you can. Yeah. I'm, I'm teaching them about fat drops, you know, because I'll play Sandstorm <laughs> by Darude and they go to dance. It's like, wait. So like, what? Just wait. Wait for the drop. Wait for the drop. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'll go nuts for it and they'll copy and they laugh and it's hilarious. Just through the aesthetic, I became to like the music. And when we're home doing Lego or something, I'll just put on YouTube in the background and put on a Gorillaz playlist. And doing that, there were songs I hadn't really known or didn't listen to a lot. And it's like, oh, this is actually really good. This is really good. And my son's really getting into it. And then I'll be playing, I've got the best of CD, and I put that in the car recently. He goes, which film clip's this one? Which film clip's this one? So there's definitely a visual link to the song that he's getting because these are the singles that's the best of. Yeah, I'm just, can't get enough. And there's a song from the, not the most previous album, the last year's album called Humility. And it's my isolation jam. Because the opening line is, I don't want any of this isolation. It's like, oh, perfect. But it's just nice. this nice melodic thing, which probably is the closest thing to Arcade Fire you're going to get <laughs> on my list. And it's probably not my thing, but because of the gorillas get a pass on all this sort of shit. But yeah, it's just this melody and lovely. And okay. the film clips there, it's got Jack Black in it to tie it all back together. And yeah, they're just hanging out at Venice Beach doing their thing. It's sunny. It's nice. They're getting out. Mm. And... And there's another one, Strobe Light, which is just a funky sort of disco-y tune, you know, dancey tune. And it's like, it's the one band, it's like Mike Patton, if he goes and does, I'm going to do an album of, you know, derivative themes of horror movies or movies, but in my interpretation, I'm there for it. That's not pretentious at all because it's Mike Patton, motherfucker. I will let you do that because you're allowed. And that's the same with the gorillas. It seems to get the free pass that no one else gets and purely suck me in with the visuals, but they're actually really good. And I don't know if Damon Albums, what's his name? Alban? Alban? I don't know if he's that good or he's got good people around him because I like Blur. Don't get me wrong. It just seems, it's just so varied. Like like I said, there's disco, there's mellow, there's sort of your harder ones, there's rap in there. And it's like, he's collaborating with some really cool people and just the vision. It's just, has a vibe and a really cool thing. The whole thing is just really cool. And uh, yeah, but I can't say there's one album that grabbed me unless you okay. want to say the first one because yep. 
that would tide me in, but it didn't grab me there to say, oh, this is the album, this is the track, and I listen to this one all the time, because it didn't do that, because it was more the film clips, so therefore it's the singles. Yeah, so they're honourable mentions because, one, Foo Fighters never bought a CD, sorry, Dave, but I love (laughs) you, and Gorillaz because it's not really a CD. It's not one CD I can point to to say, this is it. Yeah, yeah, so that well, that's it. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of bands I missed. Like I said, yeah. um, I mentioned probably yourself earlier and things like that. You know, but yeah, there's there's a lot. Like um, Tism, I would have liked to have squeezed Tism in there somewhere, but yeah, I just couldn't. I, I think the thing with Tism is they they are a live band, not a CD band. Oh no, they're pretty good. I've listened to a few of their CDs. Like there's some weaker tracks, unfortunately. There's some corker songs, but there's just weaker tracks. Well, a couple of honourable mentions for me is I would probably say, uh, as far as newer stuff goes, is probably Killing Time by Bayside that came out in 2011. That was a really good album. And again, it sort of got me into listening to just pure rock and roll. But Did you enough. make me see them or did we see them at the No, Soundwave we saw concert. them at Soundwave. And it was one but of the you bands knew of that, them. Yeah, because I, yeah. I, I really like that one album, and I listened to that one album, Killing Time, a lot. And then when we saw them live, probably that was 10 years after that album it came out, and they only played two songs off that album. So I was kind of like, I like this band, but I don't know any of their stuff other okay. than this one album. So I really yeah, the, enjoyed that. Like, but not you, you knowing calling anything them, about them, but they had a good book. Yes, you kept calling them Riverside rather than Bayside. <laughs> yeah, well, because <laughs> I'm another, rude. Another thing that probably gets a mention as well is Mindless Self-Indulgence, If. I was, because that's a yes. really good album as well. And ironically, I had no idea who they were, but we were actually, we went to Billboard the, the in the city gang? to see Bloodhound Gang, and they yeah. were playing in a couple of weeks as well, and they had posters up. And just by the yeah. look of the band, I was like, this band looks pretty cool. I think I'm going to look, listen to some of their music. And yeah. If was their latest album, and I remember listening to that album a lot as well and thinking, yeah, this well, is Well, I good. play that one song that you showed me of theirs that is a corker. Shut me up? Yeah. Yeah. But again, not not enough to be in my top ten most influential albums, well, but and very good. Some other bands – I mean, Bloodhound Gang, I would love to have put in there because that is a band I bought all their CDs and listened to them all and actually yep. dug it. They deserve a mention. Ruby Fisher good. Yep. No, it's just more a gig again, as opposed to buying CDs or, again. Or songs, yeah, rather than a whole yeah. CD. Yeah. Ironically, when you when you look at my list, you're, at least you've got a couple of female artists in yours, but my list is very white, Sausage very person. male. It is a sausage fest. I, I think there might be a band that has a female member, if I'm lucky, but it is very much a lot of males in my music. But no, a lot of white males, apart from like a couple of bands that have token members, I guess. But yeah. going to put Magic Dirt in there, no doubt. Well, I could have, but again, it's like they're good songs, but there's not a particular album that I would say is an influential album for me. Fair enough. Anyway, but um, yeah, so we put this out on Facebook that we we were going to do this after we posted our first five, and f- friend of the show, Dodzy, actually posted his top ten. So he said that his top ten in no particular order were ten by Pearl Jam, Hysteria nice. by Def Leppard. Anyway, I was the same. <laughs> I own it. Don't worry. It's yes, I was the same. Yep. Look Sharp by Roxette, which okay. is a great album, but I, I wouldn't say I got into it at the time. It's more that I've listened it's- to it since. I've done it. it. It's a yeah. great for karaoke. Joyride, awesome karaoke song. Joyride's on a different album, but anyway. Because, man, um, I'm just talking about the band be, in general now. Don't Be Cruel by Bobby Brown, which I can't say I know a song off it. I, I knew Dodsey at this time. Yeah, I remember him. 
him and Marty went to the Bobby Brown concert. I was off to see, I think, Transvision Vamp in Excess, or, or I think I was probably seeing Midnight Oilish at the time. Yeah. So when they're seeing Bobby Brown, I'm seeing Midnight Oil. It was, you know, oil water yep. just in the mix i, I totally okay. get that i i appreciate it now like some fun hip-hop is really good but i just couldn't at the time yep yes all right so mr jordan by julian lennon interesting choice I'm, is that salt water probably mm. the xanadu soundtrack because everyone loves a bit of elo and olivia newton john it is, it is good. When I dance with you. I mean, I love the movie, but wow, it's a it's a deep cut to pick that as an album. Wow. It is, isn't it? Press. Ish by 1927. It's a bit of Aussie. Um, my sister had that as a LP. Yeah. Uh, She's So Unusual by Cindy Lauper, which came very close to being on my list. Oh, really? So maybe I should have put that on there just for the fact that I needed a female, but yep. Uh, Invisible okay. Touch by Genesis and Epic okay. by No More. Epic. Yeah. That's a single. I think oh, he means it? the real thing. He probably does mean the real thing by Faith and yeah. So we'll call him out yeah. on that. Yeah. If it's your favourite album, you don't even know the album name. <laughs> Rockstead Lover. So. Yeah, my wife would agree with you on Cindy Lopper. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Okay. Genesis. Interesting. But, yes, not many other people got on our socials and said that. But if, if well, anyone does want to get on. Now. Yeah, it's our listener. We had a couple of other comments, but they were—he was the only one that actually gave us a top ten. Yeah. So if you, if well, you now do want to heard our full top ten, you can add that. Just give us exactly. your top five. You don't have to give us ten if you don't want to. Yes. So if you do want to jump on our, fa- on our Facebook, we are facebook.com/slash the Massive Attack Podcast. You can find us on our website, which is the mapodcast.podbean.com, or we are the MA Podcast on Twitter. We'd love to hear what other people think, and the feedback of us doing musical episodes has been quite good. So, as you said, we might do a couple more in the pipeline. I've been doing a yep. little bit of investigation about your Track 7 theory. Okay. Um, I've managed to find a few albums from back in the day that actually Track 7 was the best album, uh, best song on the album. Okay, so cool. maybe I will do a little bit further investigation on that, and down the road we might do a, a, a Track 7 Theory episode of okay, Welcome to My cool. World. So, yeah. Mm, but, um, yeah, awesome. there's, there's a lot of interesting choices from both of us there. As you said, we are, have very different musical choices, and I think that's why it works, that you like stuff, I like stuff. We can go to each other and go, hey, listen to this and see what you think. And a lot of the time I like what you like, and then you hate what I like. Well, you like a lot more than I do. That's the difference. So, yeah, you're more open-minded to a lot of things. I mean, I do love discovering songs. And we used to do that. I remember back in the day when I got my iMac, you know, so it was like my laptop. And I went to your place and I got onto your Wi-Fi. It it must have been on your Wi-Fi. Yeah. And we go to iTunes and we just search and you can play that 30-second demo of songs. Yeah. And stuff we'd just go and look for it was fun and i worked out i mean a lot of things like flight of the concords tenacious d richard cheese i realize my music taste now is a lot of parody and novelty yeah and i mean you could say Simmer down a close to novelty and you know mike Patton doing opera is kind of novelty and um you know mr bungle to a point. So I'm, you know, Tism, Damien Cow's Disco Machine, Burnt Sausages. I'm definitely go down that route. So loving that. So, you know, going into iTunes, looking for, you know, Scandinavian covers of popular songs for weird reasons. That's that's what we did, or what I did anyway. Yes, so um, I can remember yeah. back way, way, way back when we did our episode on covers, which I think was episode three of the podcast. We were looking for – it all started because we were looking for Beatles covers, and then we fell into that Beatles Barkers 
rabbit hole on yeah. YouTube. So, yeah. So, yeah, so, so that sort of thing. And I remember because you were the ride vintage to me and you know a lot of music. So a lot of stuff you say to me is like, do you remember this? And it's like, no, but you do remember most of the things I bring up. And Love Like Blood, I heard on the radio. And it was an old song from the 80s, but I yeah. I remembered it vividly, but not knowing it. So yeah. when I heard it on the way to your place one day, going, do you know this song? And I don't think you did. And I forget how we even, it was before mobile phone. Well, before, you know, iPhones. Yeah. So I don't know how I found it. You must have the internet. You must have been looking uh, somehow. And we found Love Like Blood. And it was back when we were going to retro. Well, it, I was about to say even Love and Pride by King was very much well, like that as well. I found them both at the same time. And they're very no. similar. And those two are the ones where it's like, these songs, do you know them? And it's like, Yes. <laughs> it was just like, this is a corker. One you knew. Yeah. Was it Love and yeah. Pride you knew? Love and Pride, I definitely knew. But Love knew. Like Blood, you knew. Yeah. Love Like Blood, yeah. Which is a killing joke. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just these two songs that just sound sort of familiar and just right in my 80s wheelhouse that I liked. Yeah. And it was probably alternative 80s back then. It was a bit oh, nothing definitely. now, but yeah. But um, yeah, so I just do miss that obscure discovery of music where now, you know, like I said, we went down a the Beatle Barkers and went through this rabbit hole of there's so easy to find. There's so much out there. Yeah. yeah but to find a love and pride out of nowhere, it was yep. so much more impressive and special than exactly. it is now. But yeah. Yes. And we just don't get that opportunity anymore. No, we don't. Cause there's too much. Cause you, cause I mean, like, uh, I, think, I, I don't know. I can remember when, when Skrillex first came yeah. out, uh, Millionaires as well. But when Skrillex first came out, and that um, that was the song first of the year, when that first yeah. came out, and you, that was more of a video on YouTube. And I can remember you coming around and going, "Watch this video, it is amazing." And then it was yeah. kind of like, "What the hell is this sort of thing?" And what is yeah. dubstep? This is this yeah. is going to stay forever. <laughs> mm, exactly. And, well, and I mean, we, we still how close were we? Sorry. We still have discoveries, like we do. Yeah, we do. Stuff like, but they're um, just so disposable now. Antwerp and Little Big and just stuff like that. It's yeah, but again, novelty. Yeah, for exactly. me, it's novelty. It's not yeah. like oh, this is amazing music. Listen to this yeah. voice or listen to. The, I'm just not looking for that anymore. I'm looking for something obscure and something different mm. or something shocking. Something that that's where I'm not going. Oh, I really like this band. So give me more of this band or a better version of this band. I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for something different. And I suppose that's what Gorillaz is. Musically, it's diverse and good and interesting, but it's got the visual backup to make it impactful on me because obviously I have no attention span whatsoever and yeah. I just need to be hit over the head with it. And that's why something like a Skrillex hits you over the head. Yes, it does. Because, yeah. I mean, it was so close. It's funny because we had you really want to use Skrillex or a dubstep for the opening of our show. Yeah. And I don't know why I didn't want to. It was like, yeah, and thank God because it wouldn't have dated as well. Exactly. It would have definitely dated the show. Whereas, you know, we went with Scar, which we both love and we've talked about a bit, but none of us have put Scar in our list whatsoever. No, no, definitely not. No. No lesson, Jake. Um, Real Big Fish, oh, you know, they're good. And yep. I do love Scar Madness. I've even got their CD. That could have been in there. But no, but I love that we use Scar in our... Yeah, exactly. Because we're, we're, we're the right age and the right fatness to be Scar fans. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway, 
Alrighty. On that note, it's probably a good time for us to wrap it up. Uh, okay. Mini has gone end up longer than uh, normal episodes have, but uh, it's been fun. Yes. Yes. That's that's the joy of isolation. You can get away with getting together and talking over Skype, discussing our musical differences and making yep. an episode out of it. So cool. yes, as, as I said, if you have any feedback for us, if you think you've got your top tens and you'd like to tell us what they are, definitely jump on our socials and we promise we won't laugh at your choices because you didn't laugh at ours. No, well, I can't promise that. No. And until next time, thank you very much, Mitch. Thank you. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with a regular episode. See ya. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the Massive Attack podcast. Malcolm. Malcolm? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear.